0: Welcome to the podcast for pet carers. If you're a pet parent or work in the pet care industry, then this is the podcast for you. Our show is about all things pet care, discussing everything from cats and kittens, dog training, pet nutrition, boarding, grooming, daycare, and much more. Join us fortnightly as our host and dog trainer extraordinaire, Glenn Cook, chats with leading pet industry professionals.
1: Welcome back to the podcast for pet carers. I'm Glenn Cook, host of the show, and joining me all the way from Queensland, I have Cheryl McKenzie, who is a specialist in people and culture. Welcome, Cheryl.
0: Thanks so much, Glenn. I'm great to be here.
1: It's great to have you here. How did you get to become a specialist in people and culture?
0: Oh, well, I'm a bit of a lifer in the people and culture space. I did some behavioural science studies and workplace health and safety studies about. 30 odd years ago Mm -hmm. and just evolved from there. So I've had the opportunity to work for lots of multinationals and privately owned companies. And then I started my own consulting business in about 2014.
1: That's fantastic. That's a very interesting subject. And the reason I felt that it would be great to invite you onto the show today, we actually consult with you on a professional basis from time to time when we need to know some facts around People and culture, funny enough. You and I were having a conversation one day, and I thought to myself, isn't this an absolutely fascinating conversation? I think people need a little bit of a better education. And because I'm not a specialist in people and culture, I employ people and we develop cultures, but we also get confused sometimes as to what's actually real case studies and what is fictitious and what we believe to be fact when they aren't really factual at all. Given that that's your background and that's your wheelhouse, we thought we'd speak to you and just get a better insight into some of the issues around what people believe are topics such as bullying, harassment and discrimination. We've got a meeting that we have at Pet Resorts called Heads of Kennel, the Hock Meeting, And Uh you did a presentation for us and it really gave all of the management team a better insight onto it because there's often so much misdirection around what it actually is and how it works. I think people more or less say these things as a bit more buzzwords these days or confusion. So Cheryl, I'm going to hand it over to you now because I'd like you to give us a bit of an insight into your professionalism and what you actually teach people and educate people in my industry
0: the key things that people often get confused around is just because an employee doesn't agree or just because there is a difference of opinion or a bit of conflict in the organisation, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatic bullying. Mm. So there is very clear criteria around bullying, very clear criteria around harassment and very clear criteria around discrimination. Usually discrimination is an organisational aspect. So it's where people are disadvantaged based on things that we refer to as a prescriptive situation. So for example, age, race, sexual orientation, marital status, those sorts of things where people are disadvantaged as a result of those natural factors in life. And through the organisation's policy, whether that be the hiring policy, whether it be the PACE policy and we have a lot of conversations now around pay equity and that's where people are disadvantaged as a result of you know their background or potentially their gender mm. so that one is often more around how the organization structures their business and how the organizational policies work and then if you look at the next tier down from there is harassment again it's set on specific criteria so that is sexual harassment or harassment relating to race or harassment relating to age. And that is where a behavior is unacceptable and causes a level of discomfort for the individual who's being harassed. Now, oftentimes that can just be a one-off event. And again, is usually about a power differential. So people are often harassed by people who hold more power. Again, sometimes it's about the organizational structure, Sometimes it's about individuals. And we talk a lot in that space around leadership, the shadow that we cast as a leader to start with, and also our style of leadership. Mm. So sometimes we rely on our personal leadership style or our influencing style. And then other times we rely on positional power. When we have no influence as a leader, we often come in really heavy with our positional power, and that's often where employees feel that they're being bullied. But even the term bullying and harassment, they're often used together, and people mm. do interchange them. And you may have heard people talk about, oh, you know, well, I'm being harassed. Well, no, you're actually being instructed to do your work correctly. Yep you're bullying me because I can't get what I want out of the situation. No, there is what we call reasonable management action, which then takes us into the third category that we often have conversations about in the people and culture space, and that is the bullying. Now, bullying is covered under the Workplace Health and Safety Act as well. So there's, again, a very specific criteria, but it doesn't relate to age, race. I mean, it can, but often it's about work performance, and about the individual themselves. So what we find in the bullying space is where if you have an employee that potentially is underperforming and you are having a conversation with them about their performance, they may feel that that's bullying. So it's really important when you're having those types of conversations that you do follow what we call a a fair and reasonable process. But the other thing that encompasses the bullying criteria, and this is how you know that it's bullying, it's usually repeated and it's usually where somebody is treated unfairly and it's a risk to health and safety. For example, that might be if somebody is overburdened with work and there's too much work for one individual and they often get all of the additional work put onto them, that can be considered to be bullying. It's also the same as if you have somebody working in a role that is way below their capability. That can sometimes be bullying. So it's really important to think about how we interact with our employees, but more importantly, how we structure our systems and processes within the business.
1: Mm.
0: And that's what we talked about. There was a lot of conversations about people thinking that something was bullying when it was really not bullying at all.
1: That was a fascinating one and an eye-opening one for many of us because, as you said, and as we've been witness to several times with conversations with not only our staff but just in general when you read things on forums and when you see things on news and media, whatever it may be, there's a lot of times when people use the claim that I'm being bullied. One of the interesting things that I feel that a lot of us see is a lot of times that the person who is producing the bullying card a lot is actually the bully in the group. It's the person who is can and often is using discrimination at work and and being quite a, a vexatious person, yet the minute the cards don't fall in their favor, they pull the bullying card and say, well, I'm being bullied now. You pointed out something, Cheryl, in the conversation you had with us where you said, well, it could be the case of both parties up actually being bullied because it started off, yes, that person was being bullied or was bullying the group, but then the group bullied them back. So it's a bit of a case of two wrongs don't make a right.
0: That's correct. And that can often happen when you have an employee that is being difficult to manage and then the leadership team or other employees almost gang up and create that often looking for things to call out the person's behaviour or often looking for things that would not necessarily be a concern for people in a general day-to-day environment but they start to then hone in on the individual that's caused the trouble and then all of a sudden there's all of these complaints and there's all of these Performance management discussions that are just way over the top mm. and it becomes something that people really hone in on and, and focus in on it's like when you're driving down the road and you buy a new red car and you st- everywhere you then you see a red car so if you expect behavior from a particular person it doesn't necessarily matter that their behavior is not unex- it might not be unacceptable behavior but you will hone in on the behavior and it will become something that you will then be putting them into a position where you are bullying them even though they started out as the person who was causing the concern in the the first instance. Because it then does affect their health and safety. Complaints that are unfounded is an aspect of bullying. So if everybody in the organisation is out looking for behaviours of an individual and then they're reporting back all the time to the leadership team that this person's doing this today and they're doing that today and they're doing something else today, it can create that environment like a hostile and and toxic environment for somebody who, if they were performance managed, we wouldn't be in that situation to start with.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think sometimes being human, myself included in that, because I'm certainly not a robot, it's, (laughs) it's very hard sometimes not to feel things about people who, suddenly start creating mischief at work. We all do it. You develop different sorts of feelings about that person. You're absolutely right, Cheryl. When you see examples of things like you were talking about before, when you're looking online or when you're even in your own workplace – you start to see where you can start stacking examples of other things, like you start digging and looking for other things that you could add to the case to say, well, there you go, that is that. Just
0: on that, Glenn, you're actually right. It is a total human trait to do that. It's actually called the ladder of inference. So it's where you expect a certain behaviour from somebody so you will see the behaviour and not take into any consideration what may be going on for them. You just see the behaviour through your lens, which is the lens that they are deliberately doing something wrong. So therefore, it doesn't matter what's going on for them. You will still see that as that behaviour. Totally normal human behaviour.
1: Yeah, it it is a totally normal behaviour. And it's one hard to combat too. I think as we go along more and more, and there are more and more workplace laws that are introduced, it very much is a challenge to try and control all these emotions that are surfacing within us. I think that's the hardest and the biggest challenge for many of us because we're not friends, we're being thrown together. So it's a bit of an example of when we start socialising dogs or the example of marine mammals, when they're placed together and then suddenly they're expected to just get along with each other. It's almost like you expect this family or this friendly atmosphere to just suddenly take place. And then what we don't account for is that we're not friends. We're just a lot of strangers that have come together. And sometimes we become friends and sometimes we realize, I really don't like this person much at all. I don't have much in common with them. They don't laugh at my jokes or their jokes are terrible. We have different cultural beliefs and backgrounds and so forth. Then you've got to pretend to get along with each other and try and keep the peace. So that's where it's difficult at work to keep your emotions out of it. But I guess when you're involved in management, and unfairly a lot of the times it does come back to management, the lenses are heavily skewed on the managers, is Mm -hmm. that you do have to do things emotionless. You do have to take the emotion out of it. Let's strip all that away and just look at the facts in front of us. What are the pillars of what is appearing about this behaviour in front of us, and let's just deal with the behaviour And try not to feel any bias towards that person because they're not your favorite person today or they pissed you off a bit at work today. That is hard to do when you're a human being. That's really hard to do. And it takes a certain amount of skill set to do that. And sometimes people do it based on the fear of the repercussions of the law. And sometimes people do it because it's the right thing. And sometimes people do it because they're more skilled than others and have training to do that. What are your thoughts around that?
0: Interesting that you say that because, yes, you need to take away the lens of bias around the behaviour, but I think it's also about being more empathetic and compassionate about what is going on in the situation because even though somebody may be having challenging behaviour or may be presenting with challenging behaviour, there is always something going on in the background. The other thing that really helps around teams particularly It's called Tuckman's Theory, and it's about the five stages that teams go through. So whenever there's a change in the workplace environment, teams will go through that forming, storming, norming, performing, and then adjourning. So it's, again, a natural cycle, and an organisation that has a good structure and who has good systems can then focus on what they need to do to build that relationship and to make conflict respectable and have an opportunity to deal with that. Because conflict in a team is totally natural. It's something that will happen Mm. as long as that conflict is dealt with in a positive environment. But as far as us as individuals, it's really interesting that we will often put on a face with our clients where we will calm, we will breathe, we will not raise our voice at them or we'll treat them with respect because they're our clients. And I think it's about using that same techniques with employees and thinking, if I'm not in the right space to deal with this right now, I need to take a step back. I need to let the employee know that I have these concerns, but then come back at a time when I have got all of the facts, I've rehearsed what I need to say, because if we think about how our brain works in that fight or flight situation where we're often angry with an employee, let's be honest, that's what's happening. We're often angry with an employee, Mm. so we either want to avoid it and then it gets out of hand and then it becomes a problem for more employees, or we want to deal with it right there and then, and we're not in the right frame of mind and our brain is not functioning logically because we're in that fight or flight stage, which our brain is not meant to function rationally in that situation. So sometimes it is just about taking a step back, writing a list, having a conversation and saying, okay, what do I need this person to understand? I know I keep harping on it, but systems are your friend. Even though a lot of small organizations say, oh, but we're a family business or a small organization. We don't want to have that level of you know, those layers, and we don't ha- want to have that bureaucracy. Sometimes clarity is key. So if you have a system in place, it helps people know where to go to get information. It helps you stay on the right page when you're trying to coach and support people around behaviours that are less than acceptable. And it helps other employees in the business know what's expected of them and other people. So systems are your friend.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And to be honest, I've, I've probably fought against them over the years, as most people have done in smaller business. But as you grow, and as you start to bring more people in, and I guess, as I mentioned before, there's cultural differences, and there's lots of area difference as well like yep. sports differences lots of things that we agree to disagree on and i think yep. that you're right when we do have systems in place and we have firm agreements where people read it and they understand this is a no smoking place and you're not allowed to smoke here or in the bathrooms or on the property at all at pet yep. resorts we've got a very strict no smoking no vaping on our properties because of the high mm-hmm. risk that's involved it's not that we're not sensitive to the people who have needs to smoke we understand that yep. but it's just comes at much too risk so we notify yep. everybody before that happens so we yep. tell all new employees and we've got an agreement in place with all current employees it's in our policies and procedures it's in our terms and conditions everything that we've got is don't smoke in our property guests yep. can't do it we've got it in our toilets we've got it on our reception if people do start doing things like that then we start putting systems in place Or we start uh, having meetings about it to say you've done it and this is the consequence for doing it. And if it happens again, the consequences are going to escalate. And if you continue to ignore that, well, you're no longer employed here because you have just defied the terms of your employment and the systems that we've got in place here to prevent things like that happening. I think one of the things that many people in positions of their business feel powerless or feel very confused about is it's their business. They started it. They took all the risk. They've got to put their name on ASIC's radar. They've got to borrow money from the bank. They've got to develop all of these structures. Then they've got to bring people into it. I feel that many people that I speak to say, this is mine. I created this. This is my idea and my baby. And I've brought these people in and I've offered them a position and they've become combative or defiant or they're not the same personality that I employed. They're a different person and now I'm stuck with them and I've got very little way to actually get them out of the company. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to be in legal turmoil. So that's an interesting concept. How do people deal with situations when they do have an employee that started to go rogue and really is becoming that nightmare employee?
0: It's important to be clear about what it is that the employee is doing that is contrary to the expectations. So if you have the expectations and they're very clearly set out, it's the process of does the employee know that what they're doing is not acceptable? And if they do know, then what is the plan to improve that? Have they forgotten? Are they deliberately doing it? Or is something else going on where there's something outside of the workplace that is affecting their behaviour? So I think the important thing to remember, though, as a business owner, yes, it is your baby. Yes, you have brought somebody in. But you've brought somebody in who is actually spending a lot of time in your business. They're working with you in the business. And when everything's rosy, you're happy and you're supporting them. And and it's like any situation. We don't always get it right. We Mm -hmm. don't always get it perfect. Sometimes we're just either not going to be a good fit anymore, we've lost interest, we might have disengaged, we might have something else going on outside, doesn't necessarily make us a bad person, it just makes us a different fit now. So it's really important as an employer where you do have the teams is to ensure that, A, do people know what your expectations are, are you clear on those expectations and are you consistent with those expectations? Because if you're letting one person do one thing and then all of a sudden an employee comes along and they do the same thing and they're now being managed differently, that's where a lot of employers get themselves into a bit of trouble. Because whilst the policy may say one thing, there are situations where employers let behaviour slide and then that becomes general practice. And then when somebody does something that it's just the last straw, I want to call them in on it now they've already got this history of other people not doing the right thing and not being held accountable for that. So consistency is the key. The other thing is there are some laws to protect small businesses, particularly if you've got a certain number of employees and if you go down the process of performance management. There was a a theory quite a few years ago that you had to give a certain number of warnings and you had to go through a certain process and it was quite an arduous task to get somebody out of your business. If you are consistent, though, and if you are clear on your process and you know what and and your employees know what the rules are, it's actually quite easy to get people either back on track or enjoying their careers with somebody else Mm. outside of your business. But it's about being, the term that we use is it's got to be you who, or it can't be you who, it can't be unfair, it can't be harsh, and it can't be unjust. So unfair and unjust relate to the legal aspects of the management of performance. So is there a policy? Is it in line with the requirements of the legislation? And is it unfair means is everybody being treated the same way? Because if you have some employees that, oh, we let that person do that because that's just who they are and they just go, you know, they're so good at so many other things, but We just let them do that because that's just who they are. But then somebody else goes and does the same behaviour and they are held accountable for that behaviour. That's where we start to see in small businesses where people get that inconsistency. Mm. And I think the other thing that happens, and I know myself as a small business owner, you want your people to be happy. So sometimes you might let things slide or you might try to be more than friends or you might step outside of that business relationship, it's really important to make sure that that business relationship stays high. Because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that somebody performs for your business. So the business relationship is key.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think one that often gets overlooked because whether you like it or not, and it's probably one of those uncomfortable discussions that people put to parents quite frequently and say, who's the favourite child? And they say, well, I don't have a favourite child. I love them both. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. Every parent has a favourite child. Or they may not admit that to themselves. And yes, they love their children. That's true. However, they've got one that they've got a better relationship with. That happened between my sister and I. And I'm not saying this out of spite or jealousy or anything like that, but my mum had a better relationship with my sister. I had a better relationship with my uncle and my grandmother or my cousin. But we had different relationships differently. And I see a lot of that in workplaces as well where you have got relationships with people where you are culturally doing the same thing, like you're saying the same funny things together and other people sort of look at it and go, oh, I don't really find that funny. And it's hard not to go, oh, that person's so dry or they're so difficult or there's such a frumple, yep. or something like that. It happens in all sorts of workplaces. You see it all over the world. So those sort of things, they do exist, but I guess you're right. You have to set an example and say, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And it just has to be yep. the case. If I told Mary off for something like that last week, then I have to tell my friend Jim off if he's doing it as well. And even though that makes it uncomfortable. I guess people if they've got respect for you they'll understand look yeah my behavior is not acceptable and I really can't get away with that at work either.
0: That's correct and we do like people who are like us. Yes. So so that fundamental piece and that's often when a small business is starting out they will hire people that are a lot like them. So because we like people who are like us. Mm. So you end up finding the same and you miss out on a lot of diversity in thinking and a lot of diversity in ideas that way but it is what it is and that's how we always start off. We like people that we can get along with, that can help us build the business and, and grow the business and do those sorts of things. So we often work on those things together and we pick people who fit. Then it becomes more important to understand what the business needs from a position perspective. So what is it? what are the skills and capabilities that the role needs? And this is where one of the interesting factors around discrimination around age occurs. Mm. Because often we think, oh, we have to have somebody who has five years' experience doing this and 10 years' experience doing that. Unless it's a, a specific requirement of the role, say, for example, if we needed a vet, they would need to have a certain number of years' education. But in other roles, though, we often put these arbitrary times on things that are not relevant to the role. So sometimes we can miss out or we can disadvantage a particular age group when it has nothing to do with performing the role or the inherent requirements of the role. So it is really important then that we start to, as our business grows, we start to look at the work to be done rather than the people that we need Mm. and then that way it helps us with that's what I was saying about those policies and procedures so that we don't unintentionally disadvantage or discriminate against certain people based on their background or their age or their you know their history and it's the same with if somebody's got family commitments at home That's something that would be covered under discrimination if they're not given an opportunity for promotion because they're not available on weekends as much or they're not as often available late at night. So it depends really on the work to be done. It's a really important thing to think about when we're building our business.
1: Yeah, it really is. There's quite a few things that I found interesting being on the front end of hiring people and going through the interview okay. process. And there are a lot of questions that you can't ask people because it, I believe it comes under the discrimination process. And yep. you may be able to confirm this for me. Things like you can't ask people their age.
0: What's the relevance?
1: Well, that's right. You can't yep. ask people if they've got children.
0: That's correct. What's the relevance?
1: Yep. You can't ask people if they're a smoker.
0: That's an interesting one. You actually can if it's a workplace health and safety requirement.
1: So would we be entitled to do that at our workplace if it's a workplace health and safety issue?
0: If you have a policy in your organisation that says no smoking and you don't have the facilities for smoking, and I imagine that you have some environments where, particularly for animal care and, for example... If we compare it to childcare, Mm. we all know that you're not allowed to smoke in childcare. Yep. So they don't ask that question because everybody knows that it's legislated that you don't smoke in childcare. So the question then becomes, is the question relevant to the inherent requirements of the role? Right. So you could just say, again, the question. it's really about do you need to ask that question or do you need to state up front that this is a smoke-free work environment? And therefore, you don't need to ask the
1: question. That's a fascinating one because it's certainly one that was very grey to me and I didn't know that. Again, these are things that you don't learn these things in school. No, You you learn about foreign history, about things that will never impact you, but they're very reluctant to tell you about these sort of things. And then when you get into the workforce, they basically just say, well, if you're going to make a business, you're expected to know all this. Mm -hmm. it's much easier now than what it ever used to be. I remember the first time I started a business and I started to learn some of these things the hard way, which most people do. They only learn through negative experiences. There was availability for them. And if you went looking and deep diving into it, but in certain fields, you would need to be an educated person to understand the minefield that you've got to work through. More so recently in my role, I've had to scour through FairWorks website and read through a lot of the statistics about how to employ a person and what their rights are and how to be fair and reasonable to them and what their workplace rights are as well. There's still a considerable amount of reading. You've got to go through their award that they're employed under. Then you've got to go through all of the rights that they have as an employee at work and what they're allowed to do. And it's the same thing with tenants, you know, like, I mean, I know I'm jumping tracks a little bit, but there are an enormous amount of rights that a tenant has if they're hiring a house from you as well, even though that's your house and you own it, but they're also letting that off you. But I mean, we'll get back to the employees because it's more relevant with what we're talking about, but it's just amazing how much of a minefield it can be if you're not prepared for it and you don't have some knowledge about it or somebody to guide you through it.
0: Yeah, or at least know where to go to find some of that information because you're right, it changes Mm. not very quickly, but it does change. And you'll see different things that will come up, particularly most recently in the whole COVID cases that caused a lot of different conversations around vaccinations being an inherent requirement of the role in some industries and not others, and wearing masks and all of those things. There is information out there. But you just have to know where to look to find it. Fair work websites, your safety regulator, they often have information there, particularly for small businesses, because there are some slightly different rules for small businesses around, particularly, unfair dismissal and, particularly, performance management. So it really is important that people have either a trusted resource that they can reach out to or they know where to go in terms of the you know, the legislation to find these things and have somebody help them interpret it. Like yourself? Yeah, like me or like other associations, yeah. Mm. Happy to help.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, which you do for us and and do a great job of it. So how is it that a small business gets more leeway than a large business? Why is that?
0: That's actually an interesting question. I think it is because most of the legislation is geared around not trying to disadvantage a small business. It's about saying, okay, well, what does the business need? Because it does change more frequently and often changes much quicker than yeah. a large organisation does. For example, if you've got less than 15 employees and you go through a sound process for performance managing somebody, there might be an opportunity where they can't make a claim for unfair dismissal. Right. So that's really helpful to a small business because If the impact of an unfair dismissal claim can be quite costly, you then have somebody that you may have to bring back into the business who is now totally disengaged with the business. And because the teams are much smaller, there's much more impact of those types of when the relationship breaks down, when the industrial relationship breaks down. Mm. So it's really important to be calm about these things. It's like, uh, think about it first. I know that some like people can get into an emotional state. The industrial relationship at the end of the day is the key to all of the decisions that are made around what is fair and reasonable. And sometimes when the relationship breaks down, like any other relationship, you just have to make a conscious decision to step away. Mm. And sometimes that includes some drawn out, Emotional conversations, and sometimes it just includes an agreement that it's time to move on our separate way. And you know, there's costs associated with that from a business perspective. And but I think it's unusual for an organization to not go through different stages of growth and different stages of relationships with the people that work in the team. Mm. And it's just a natural part of being an employer. Like, I know there's a lot of people that just want harmonious workplaces and not have any issues and not have to deal with anything. And And sometimes I have clients that say, I was so nice to them and I did this for them and I did that for them. And, and then they feel somewhat slighted and inevitably take it personally because the other person moved on or did what was right for them. So it's like any other relationship really, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I understand that firsthand when you're dealing with human emotion and how you feel about certain situations. And I think sometimes when relationships do end, the best thing is to go your own way and don't look back. Yep. You do you and we do we, and that's it. You know, just leave it yep. leave it at that. Yep. If I can speak from personal experience, sometimes that's my way of doing things. I kind of think you're there and I'm here and I'm happy to yep. keep that distance between us. Good luck. Happy life. Hasta la vista. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. Don't yep. need to interfere, but, don't need to cause any problems or wish them any ill will, just let them do them yep. and go your own way and enjoy life.
0: Yep. And I think too once a, when a small business starts to see that they, you know, they have less contact with employees on a day-to-day basis because they're now off doing, you know, they've got bigger teams and they have different layers and so they start to see the, the relationships probably not as substantial as they used to be. But you can still have a good environment for people to work in because it is through your systems and your culture that you will be present. We call that felt leadership where the personality or the style of the leader is felt throughout the business because that is just the way that things are. Mm. So if you look at Branson, he has a great philosophy on leadership. You take care of your people and they will take care of your customers. He's created that environment where the leaders and the supervisors all share the same ethos that he shares. So, therefore, his style is throughout the business.
1: That's a commendable sort of attitude and it's a good aim to have.
0: Yeah. But he has a lot of systems to support that. So, how we hire people, how we have conversations with people, how we treat people, what's expected of our leaders when somebody is not performing effectively anymore. It's very clear how people should behave in the workplace.
1: If there's a company out there, let's say, for example, small to mid-range company, and they don't have these systems in place, or they don't have this sort of processes, how would you suggest as an industry professional that they go about setting themselves up for that?
0: The first thing that they need to do is understand the structure of their business and where their business fits in the, the risk hierarchy, I guess. Mm-hmm. So over 15 employees, you're in a different level of organisational risk compared to if you've only got you know a handful of people. I'm always a big fan of having the leadership team get together, have a conversation about what it is we want to see in our business, how do we want our business to perform, and potentially get a facilitator in to help that happen. And then do a bit of a gap analysis on Or, you know, do you have a system for this? Or what happens when this happens? Or, you know, that whole what-if philosophy. But I think the other thing that's important is for organisations to have a trust and verify. If you trust that your employees are naturally doing the right thing, but you have a system for checking in to make sure that they are doing the right thing every now and again, not being constantly looking over their shoulder because that's a whole other different conversation, Mm. but having ways in which we can measure what we expect in our business so how do we expect our business to perform get some help
1: so Cheryl is that what you do if somebody needed that role fulfilled is that your specialty
0: Yes. yes so I go through that change process with people about where you are where you want to be and what are the things that are missing that are going to help you get to where you want to be with your organization and your culture In a nutshell, that's pretty much what we do.
1: So if a business came to you and they said, we believe we've got most of it right, but we need someone like you to audit our systems and processes and policies and procedures and so forth, that's where you step in and go, that's my field. That's my wheelhouse. That's what I do.
0: Yeah. So I'll come in and have a look at the organization and what should be there what's an expectation that would be there what's a reasonable expectation and then look at some of the things that have gone wrong in the business and how it was handled and whether there are any learnings or any things that could be implemented that would reduce the risks associated with those things Mm -hmm. and then make some Mm -hmm. recommendations around okay well these are probably some areas that you need to work in as it is at the moment because I'm a private investigator as well I often get called in when it's all turn to a bit of an emotional quagmire and people want help. And then it's like, okay, well, this is why it went wrong and this is where things need to be fixed and this is, you know, some other areas that you might need to think about. So it's always a good idea to come in early before anything does go right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. I think that learning as you go and as you do in life and when you mature or in business and just in your personal growth as well, the stage to look at fixing these is where there's smoke, not where there's fire.
0: Exactly, exactly. And it's the same as, so if you had an accounting system, for example, or a customer booking system or any other process in your business, you do outgrow them. So an Excel spreadsheet might be okay for the first year of your business if you're managing your accounts. Mm. But then you might need to go to that next level. So you identify what you need, you identify what's best going to work for you, and then you implement the, the process of what's best going to work for you. It's exactly the same in your people and culture space.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And some sage advice there for small, medium, or even large businesses.
0: Large organisations,
1: Yep. Yeah. Hey, Cheryl, just before we do wrap up, any final advice that you could give to businesses just in general, anything that can come to your mind that will help save them a lot of headaches in the future?
0: I just will reiterate what I've already said, and that is consistency and make sure that you're clear about what it is that you expect from your people and be honest with them. If they're not performing, be honest and say, hey, this is where there's a bit of a gap What do we need to do to work together to fix this? Is it a training thing? Is it an attitude or is it a skill set? So do I need to help you understand how to do this better or is this something where you might just need to change the way that you're approaching something? And there's a whole host of theories and models that go into that around how you should lead and manage somebody with this skill set compared to if they're new, they need a different leadership style. And I touched on when I first started the conversation, I touched on your influence, your personal influence or your positional power. Your personal influence is where you then learn how to be flexible in your leadership style, depending on what the person needs, not necessarily what you believe you should be doing, but it's what the person needs to be able to be coached, where you need them to be ultimately. Self-reflection
1: 1st as I said before, some wonderful and sage advice there. Very helpful to people who are involved in the landscape of trying to work out how to keep this business going with everything else you've got to do, all the taxes you've got to pay and all the sleepless and long hours that you've got to put into that business. You've also got to learn how to be a behaviorist at the same time.
0: (laughs) That's right. Or get some help. Get some help from somebody that can help you navigate people.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly right. People
0: are complex. There's some interesting
1: things. People are complex indeed. Hey, Cheryl, I just want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. And I know uh, many people involved in this space will be really interested and relieved to know that there's industry professionals like you out there that can help navigate them through. Right. How do people find you? Is there a way that they can get in touch with you if they need your advice?
0: They can contact me via email or give me a call. They can contact me through you. Do you have, can we put those details on your podcast?
1: I will definitely be putting any of your contact details in the show feed. That's probably the best way to do it is just go to the show feed on our site. If you are in a situation where you need to have a conversation, Cheryl's a great listener and she's also a great advisor. I've had several conversations with her already and come away a lot smarter. So Cheryl, I really appreciate... Yeah, thank you. Because sometimes you believe you know something, but beliefs are different than facts. And that's something that you've been able to help me understand in the workplace. It just helps you be a better person in a position of authority or leadership or even as an employer... So you can be fairer and you can be more just with the people that are working for you or with you or whatever it is you do in your organization. So Cheryl, once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast for pet carers. You're Even though it's a pet caring podcast, we try and talk to people in all fields. And that's why I felt it was really great to have somebody who advises people on businesses because we deal with behavior and you deal with behavior. Yeah.
0: Yep, exactly. And at the end of the day, it's your employees that are probably spending more time with your pets and the care that they've been given for the client. So it's a good thing to do.
1: 100% right. And I'm really reflecting on what you were saying about Richard Branson's quote before, because that's really relevant to our industry as well.
0: Yep, definitely. Service industries particularly. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. Hey, folks, if you enjoyed the show, please find us on Spotify or whatever medium that you're listening to us through and leave us a review. Also, I'd like to thank our show sponsors, PetResortsAustralia.com for any of your boarding needs for pet dogs and cats and daycare and everything you want. Go to PetResortsAustralia.com, have a look at the website and all the services that are available to you. And also CanineEvolution.com.au, that's canine, word canine, evolution, one word, .com.au, Go on there and have a look at all the dog training services that they provide as well for anybody who needs their dogs trained. So thanks again to our guest, Cheryl McKenzie. We're going to leave all the details in the show notes and we look forward to speaking to you on the next episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening.